Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. We will get to the episode, I promise. But this is exciting news. I have to share it with you. The podcast is going visual. We are on YouTube. So if you enjoy watching podcasts, make sure you go to Moving the Needle Podcast on YouTube. So search it on your YouTube. You'll find it. Hit that subscribe button and then watch some of the clips if you don't mind. Maybe leave some comment. Let's get some engagement because the more we get the YouTube out there, the more I can get awesome guests. And that's probably the biggest thank you you can do for me right now. Let's build up that YouTube. So share it with some friends. Check those clips. Leave us some comments. And I uh, appreciate that, man. Let's get to the episode. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle. That's again, drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well. How's it folks? Hello world, we're back. This is Moving the Needle podcast. Yeah, I'm your host Andrew Nettling, but you are not here for me. I think you've heard enough from me. I've got a legend with us. He's a legend uh, after the events. He's a legend at the events. And he had an illustrious career, but he's also one to speak openly about how hard the challenges after a career going into normal life. Um, it's the godfather of freeride and slope style in the UK scene. And I remember watching him do some of the craziest things I've seen on a bike at that time, like that tail whip drop, I think, at Whistler. I was there on site as far as I can tell. It's none other than Grant Chopper Fielder. Hope I've given you Ray. the intro that you deserve. 
That was uh, a good how one. How are we doing, my man? Was it that decent? was a really. First of all, I just want to say thank you. That was a pretty cool intro. I didn't realise you actually knew who I was. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> what the, his, but, the history or currently? Well, a bit of both. But no, I appreciate that. What dude. did you? Some, did you just it, think some random uh, super fan want to do an interview with you? <laughs> yeah, who's this needles guy? I've seen him everywhere. He's been on Red Bull TV. But no, it's, um, yeah, I appreciate that. That was quite a nice intro. Yeah, the godfather of the UK slope style freeride scene. I suppose, I suppose I am because um, it was still pretty early then. So I'll claim that. Yeah, cheers. Is it yeah. is it kind of surreal because you you really were like you can hear Ollie talk about it, Matt Jones, these you know. Especially someone like Matt Jones, who was, he's a lot younger than you to have known of you and looked up to you. That's probably when he started watching videos and things. Yeah. Like you've obviously gone through a lot in your life and, and we can relate on retiring and going through the ups and downs of that. But it's a quite mm. surreal to think, okay, I'm not, that's not who I am anymore. But damn, I did do something pretty special for the sport back in the UK and, and the world. Oh, God, yeah. Like it's, it's quite funny because there's a lot of, comparing to today especially, lots of the kids know about slope style at a very young age. But looking back, I actually started quite late, but at the time it was still new. So I, I started competing at, at 16, which is still young, but compared to, basically I was at Big White not so long ago in Canada and I saw eight-year-old kids doing triple truck drivers and I'm like Jesus like the level now compared to back then has changed so much but yeah I was I was about 18 when I started to realize hang on a minute I could actually turn this into a bit of a career now and um, I was traveling all over the place so it was all magazine everything was magazines back then and VHS so everything felt really exclusive and you had to be patient and wait for like a flyer to come out saying there's a contest coming. Not like, oh, there's a contest this weekend. Oh, go, let's go. It was all planned. Everything was. So we spent a lot of time planning our year out. And it was really fun. And I used to travel the UK with mostly just my brother and a couple of other mates that were into BMXs and things. And it was, like I said, it was still quite new. We didn't really know what it was. It was still seen as a bit of a, a sideshow. So there'd always be like four cross events, dual, dual races or cross country races. And there's all, there'd always be the clowns to the side and that would be us. And we didn't really sort of think it would sort of mount to anything, but here we are. But yeah, so we, we're doing that for so many years until it actually became something massive. So yeah, to be a part of it from almost the start of it was um, probably where I was labeled a legend, the Godfather, because I I was probably the only person that brought the BMX style into mountain biking. Even though I was, I didn't have a BMX background. I um, but I was very influenced by BMX massively, and I think a lot of mountain bikers back then were. Um, and that's that's kind of where it all stems. Yeah, but there wasn't there wasn't really a dirt jumper making a living before you in the UK, right? Like was there Martin was... Ashton maybe some of, you know, he was doing the trials thing and the shows. Yeah. So there like was Mar- that area. Was there people before you like on the dirt jump slope style seat? Yeah, there, there kind of was. That's what, what I mean by us being the, the circus, like the clowns, there was, I'll bring another 
clown into it who is also a legend in my eyes and everybody else's Steve Gill so Gilly was a massive inspiration he was like the the misfit of a real corporate team like the animal playstation team back then the animal orange team so there was like the kitchen brothers tim ponting um uh i can't remember the other names but yeah martin was also part of that sort of cluster of guys and and steve was there he was a bit more of the yeah like i said a a misfit and he was the only one i kind of liked isn't it yeah, because yeah, I remember really didn't him. Care. He'd be doing tricks in four cross and duel like he's yeah. just his own guy, right? Yeah, exactly. And and he lived, and I couldn't believe it. He lived like thirty five minutes from my house, and and although it was, the sea was still so fresh, and no one really knew where it was going. But Steve made this this thing. And we and I don't know what it was, but it was just so freaking cool. I've never been, I've never looked up to someone as much as I had Gilly, even to, to even today, because he was so cool. He had all the best components on his bike. He looked cool. He was wearing Vans, and wearing Vans on a mountain bike back then was like, wow, you are really cool. And yeah, it's just he it was kind of my role. He was my role model, and. Every time we saw him, it just it inspired me to just want to do what he did. But I didn't know, I didn't realise it was going to turn into a job ever. But um, yeah, we just continued to do it, and I, I don't really know what happened. It just yeah, it just <laughs> snowballed into something really cool. But where, like, where's the first memory of a bike? You say it's with your brother. I've obviously, yeah. luckily, also just remember riding with my brother mostly, which yeah. is quite awesome to think back now you know and we still get to do it so i got into it through my late dad and his friends and our family friends like they went to the olympics actually for xc and so they were in the scene when like mountain biking started in south africa but that was racing right so that came first so i kind of understand that side and we'd get dragged not dragged we'd want to go on weekends after their training ride we'd get taken into the woods and it would be our turn to ride mountain bike where's your first memory of of bikes is it the skate park style stuff and then into the woods to the dirt jumps afterwards i mean yeah my my dad was very into motorbikes my whole the whole field of family was i've got four i call them my well my five brothers i've actually got four other cousins that are all boys that are all into motorbikes but my actual blood brother is is my brother ollie and we've always been into bikes tampering and tinkering in the in the garage, just making these Frankenstein bikes and things. And we just, it was just fun. And we didn't really sort of think nothing of it. And then I remember it, your stereotypical kid finding a, a brick and a piece of wood. And that was the first time in my life when I reckon I was about eight, when I started to compete against my brother out the front, you know what it's like. If you can kick the ball, I can kick it further. That kind of thing. But this this thing in particular is he younger was, or older? This he's, brother, so my brother's brother. eighteen months older than me. Um, ah, that makes and, sense. So, so we, you're the younger always, brother. Yeah. So ah, we always had yeah. this rivalry, and I always had someone to sort of catch, if you know what I mean. And the one time where I thought I could catch you here was when we did we made this little jump. So we had, we actually we did have a brick, and we had this old kitchen cupboard door which was just on the side, and and I, I don't know how, but at eight years old, it's quite hard to do a bunny hop. But for some reason, I managed to 
just get the right position on my bike. And we used to take pictures of it, wait, wait for them to get printed off by my parents like two weeks later. And I'd look at it and I'd be like, hang on a minute. If that's the angle of the jump, sorry, if I go that way, if that's the angle of the jump, I should be, I should be there, but I was up here and I couldn't. And like, I was instantly attracted to the physics of it. And I was like, I must be pretty good. And it was so funny. Like, I, <laughs> eight. <laughs> yeah, at eight years old, I was like, I, I think I'm pretty good at this, but I didn't think I'm much of it. On. Yeah, I'm really good at this. So I, I started to like get air in the air. So I, was, so I just thought, okay, I'm going to start pursuing this a little bit more. And then the Frankenstein bike started to get better. And my uncle bought my brother and I uh, a white and blue rally burner, which was one of the original sort of BMX dirt bikes sort of thing. And he got us two of them. And one of them was really crap, but the other one was kind of salvageable. So we managed to break all this other bike up and make one. And we just used that. Like, and that was just all we used for the jump bike out the front. We did that for years with loads of different bikes, catalog bikes. And it was, we used to use these really crappy old um, cow horns, you know, the chav bars, like you're riding like this on the edge of your bars and, our bikes were just crap, but we we were riding them really well. So that's my first. That was my first actual memories of actual biking, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, inc- yeah, incredible. It's cool. I guess it I is thought, cool it's really nostalgic. Like, actually, look, look sorry. Back. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm just literally thinking of the couple bricks and a plank or two in the yeah. road, and we somehow. We had quite a few friends, like it was back in the time where the kids would come out the house after school or homework was done and then you would cause, you know, havoc till you were all told to go in for dinner. And the bikes were a big <laughs> scene back there. I see a little bit, it's like it's coming back, which we'll, we'll maybe chat about later because you've done a bunch of that school coaching and stuff. But that's, yeah. that's pretty cool to think back. It's like proper simpler times. And then you just got hooked on it, hey? You were just at the skate yeah. park. And isn't there a time where you finished school and you just, you didn't plan to go pro, but you just went and rode your bike while other people were working. Like it wasn't a conscious decision. No, it was exactly that. It was, um, so where I live in Southampton, it's, it's very flat. It's so busy. There's like quarter of a million people living in the city and we're just on the outskirts and it's really heavy football. Everyone's like soccer for the rest of the world. And that's all, Yeah, yeah. but that's yeah. all my friends wanted to do. And that's all I wanted to do. But I had the most enjoyment of riding to football training. And there was always, there's a route, which is just off. It was a bit off camber. And I always remember, I used to train over in Tesswood Wreck, which was a, probably about half a mile away, not far, but plenty of, plenty of places, well, plenty of time where I could, catch them out on, on the way and I had more fun doing that and um yeah over the years the years and years pass and then I'm at the last year of my um of secondary school <laughs> so I'm about yeah I'm just I've just turned 16 and I've just collected my GCSE results and then I'm I'm starting to ride the skate park and that's because that, that there's a skate park that was just that just been built and it was perfect timing and um all my friends are saying, "Hey, Chop, yeah, where where are you going to uni? Where are you go? Are you are you going to college or anything like that?" And I'm just looking at it and like, 
scared. Like, what do you mean? What, have I got to continue like learning stuff? And then I'm talking to my other friends. Oh yeah, I'm an apprentice. I'm learning plumbing or I'm going into carpentry or something. They're all getting a trade. And there's just me sat there thinking, shit, I don't know what to do. I I was hoping I could just ride down the skate park forever. <laughs> I, I, had, <laughs> I had zero concept of work. But um, my dad eventually said, come on, Grant, we need to uh, we need to get you a trade. So his friend took me under his wing as an electrician for a few years. But obviously every day I was riding my bike up the skate park. But yeah, it's a very it was a very sort of scary point where the, I didn't have school to go to every day. There was no commitment. And it was a very strange part of my life, actually. So, yeah, that was where that's when it all started to change i guess and and yeah. and then like being one of the earlier ones there wasn't exactly a path ahead of you right like in downhill and racing there's a path like i exactly. already went to world champs as a yeah. junior yeah but there was less of that competition and stuff for you yeah it's not a clear decision well, that, to even go, okay uh, even though it's a risk i could go pro slope style yeah. dirt shop people like what do you mean you're riding these kids bikes like that's not a career yeah, that was that was I guess part of the problem because there was no direction, there was no one to look up to. If if say I started ten years later, then I would have kind of had a bit of an idea on where I was going. But because it was completely new for the UK, there were people like John Coward and Timo Pritzel and all those guys doing it, but it was it just felt so unattainable, you know. But in the UK, I just yeah, I was completely lost. But I just thought hang on a minute, maybe there is something, maybe it is, maybe I could just create this, my own thing. And these little, like I said, there's all these, these, these little contests popping up here, there and everywhere alongside four cross races. And there was more and more of them. So I thought, okay, right. The industry is obviously, they obviously want to see more of this. Let's, let's show them what I can do. And that was back in 1999. That was, (laughs) that was last century. Like <laughs> it's a long time ago, and I remember that. I, I remember the first contest was when I was sixteen. Was when I left school, and this this is what did give me direction. It was an it was an event on the Isle of Wight, and it was called White Max. And uh, yeah, I went over there with all my friends, and I won it. And that was against BMXs as well. And I remember Luke Smith, DMR rider, was there, and once he, yeah, we sort of bumped into each other after I won the contest. And he gave he gave me a little nudge and looked back and gave me a wink and I was like, I want to be that guy. That's exactly who I want. And he was the first person who I thought, right, this guy is this this guy's made me want to pursue this now. So yeah, it was an incredible moment. Ollie Wilkins was there as well, and I beat him, and he remembers it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he famously said you you crushed his his pro slope style and dirt jump dreams. I, prob- I probably did, but now he's, he's crushed that me man. with his, his style. soul. Is, is I know. yeah, with I his stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He throws it back at everyone with his stees. He does, and the amount yeah. of dirt covers he's got. Uh, exactly. However, I think a little little bit of him died back then. You know, his yeah, dreams. I think I think I did he, that he to a lot of a people. Bit. Yeah, I remember. I I um I was on another podcast and I mentioned that. My well, my nickname was Chopper, and I mentioned that I was just mopping up everywhere. So we, I, was, I was nicknamed Mopper for a little bit. But but Mopper would be better than Chopper. What? I think, <laughs> Why I think so. Yeah, because it, Chop in my slang term is like 
well, maybe not twat, but like is it? It's not a That's good quite, term. Well, maybe a I chop. am a bit of a twat sometimes. Don't be a no. chop. Don't be a <laughs> is it? Yeah, but we all interesting. Are. Yeah, chopper. Like don't no, be a chop. In my so, yeah, South I, African saying. I got I got called chopper for um. There's honestly there's no decent reason behind it whatsoever. It was um, my brother gave me this nickname chopper just because he he thought it was funny. <laughs> out of nowhere, just random. Out, out of no, out of nowhere. So yeah, my brother's a bit wacky like me. His brains, he's just got this crazy vivid imagination, and he'll just say what he thinks, and it's it's in it's so funny to be around. <laughs> and he started <laughs> awesome. off, he started calling me Jurgen, and then he started calling me Snake, then Jalopy, then Granny, and all these different names lasted not just for like a night, like each one lasted for months. And then he called me Apache, like for some stupid reason. We were really into GI Joe little figures and things. And then he just thought, "Oh, Chopper is an Apache. Let's let's stick with that." And that is honestly how I got my name. Oh, like a chopper helicopter. Yeah, awful. So then every time says, "Oh, how, every time someone asks me, how did you get the name Chopper?" I just say, "Oh, my my mum nicknamed it me a Chopper because I spend most of my time in the air. It's just easier." <laughs> Because <laughs> then it just sounds better. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, my mum called me Chopper. But it, yeah. like reading your name on my phone, like Grand Chopper Field. I know, I know. Like it just, is it because <laughs> it's been for so long or because it works? Like I have I people know. hear my hear my nickname, like at the golf course, these yeah. awesome gen- gentlemen that work there. And they, oh, sorry, I, I said needles. I said, so what's yeah. the problem? They're like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, Mr. Needling. And I said, yeah. dude. My mom calls me needles. Like it's just yeah. gonna stick, right? Like it's yeah. not derogatory, but I guess yeah. it works. And chopper seems to work, but dude, it's it's hilarious because yeah. I'll be the sat slang, in negotiating. The slang for chop is not great. I'm just saying. So that's okay. why I think that's, it that's good sits today. quite good. He is a bit yeah. of a chopper, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Okay, that's fair. But no, it's funny because oh, I'll so be you had sat some in contracts. Oh yeah, so I'll be sat in these meetings like negotiating contracts and things. And normally, when that happens, you'd expect to be called, but you know, your first name because it's quite serious. And then they just say, "Okay, thanks, Chopper." And it's like, that's that's my name now. That's that's what I'm known as yeah. in the industry. It's funny, but it works. So it's that's what I love about mountain biking. I would assume the ma- the magazines, like all your magazine coverage, probably just had cho- like eventually you'd just be chopper chopper, right? Like you yeah, lost yeah. your first and last name, right? Yeah, exactly. So I that's I also get a bit annoyed about it as well because just as social media was taken off, it was quite hard to find me because most of my names, most you type in chopper on Google or something, it would come up with like a Harley Davidson or or a helicopter. So like. <laughs> It was kind of it was kind of a weird position to be in because you obviously needed exposure everywhere and you wanted people searching your names, but that's another story. Was, I was like, just call me Chopperfield and ditch the grant, and then it kind of started to work. So I was like, okay, so I that was my stage name, I guess. Yeah, like so Tiger Woods. You know what exactly. his first name is? Uh, you know isn't it? it is? um, <laughs> I can't think of a funny name. It's Aldrich. <laughs> it can't Aldrich. be. Is it honestly? It is. I've no way. always forgotten it, and then I've kept researching it. And I'm, hey, if I'm wrong, someone tell me. But it's wow, Eldrick. I actually thought it was yeah. Tiger. So not as bad as no, like it's not. Wow. I'm gonna Google it now. Yeah, I would have thought his name wow. was Tiger. I thought it was Tiger or like do Tiger Woods, Eldrick. Tyrone or something. Aldrich Tont Woods. Dude, Aldrick. So you got out wow. there lucky. Yeah. 
no wonder he doesn't want that name yeah that's quite a, that's 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 a bit different isn't it oh next up on the tee <laughs> million time major winner aldrich taunt woods it's not gonna oh, work mate. is it tiger's no, it's beast just, you know it's not as good yeah yeah so chop is like your alter ego right yeah it well was, it's really especially yeah. after life you've mentioned that like it's your cycling personality identity, yeah i guess so like. yeah it's obviously I, a dangerous game i think it's i think it's good because yeah i you'd see it at home i mean look at that for stars it's it's i like to keep my biking separate from from being at home i've got i've got a family i've got two little girls and if you come to my house, you wouldn't even you would never know I, I I rode bikes, and I kind of like that in a way. So, but if you go out into the garage, like obviously it just turns into the, the chopper shrine kind of thing. But yeah, I, I kind of I don't want to bring my family into what I do because I kind of like that alter ego sort of separate. It's like I put on my my cape when I go out, you know. It's like my Batman costume is is just well my chopper hat or something. Do you know what I mean? Like I like that. But that's now that's post having a family. I would assume yeah. in retirement. But don't you do yeah. you think you didn't have two versions of yourself back back when things yeah. were like no? Going I've well? I've always done that. I've always done that. I mean, oh you yeah, have always I've, separated I've always it. done it. Yeah, I've always separated it. So if you if you turn up to the house, there there wouldn't be a picture of me doing a big tabletop or something you know what i mean like I'd, I'd have the odd poster up in my bedroom when i was like 15 16 but i've never had pictures of me up unless it was in my garage or something. everything's in my garage nothing's in my house to do I'm with the same. bikes yeah, oh, yeah. I, i'm the same why, why, why do you think that yeah, is separated i just heard it from somewhere like you leave like you know it's it becomes a job and then yeah. i was listening to a lot of people saying well I go to work or I go to the course to practice or I go riding. And then when I come in the garage, I leave my stuff there. And I, especially yeah. when you start a family and you leave yeah. that baggage there in the garage and you walk in yeah. and in a weird way, you walk into a different life because you have yeah. to be a different person as an athlete. It's crazy, and isn't it's, it? It's quite tough to have that balance. So I try to practice that yeah. and say, okay, I am the selfish athlete, but when I come in the door or I, I leave my stuff in the garage and the shrines and the posters and the bikes there. And then the, the, my house, yeah. even at a bachelor level, there were some helmets because it was quite cool for art. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. I just left everything in the Minimal. garage to try, try, try separate it. Yeah. So I related to you and I saw that in the documentary. Yeah, that's kind of, I think for me, that's, I kind of need that because I don't want to get too stuck in it because I won't, <laughs> I won't pay attention to my family, I guess, you know, I, it's, I don't really understand that part of my brain, but I, I just, I've just done it all the time, you know, but no, it's interesting. What, uh, obsessive part or what? Yeah, what just, part? well, just separating Chopper and, and Grant, say, do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I always yeah, find yeah. things like that. I love the psychological side of, of anything. Me too. If I start going into it, if I try to explain it, it makes zero sense. <laughs> I'm not an expert. So you love love being aware of it and you know it plays a huge yeah. part. But, but I don't know why. Being able so, yeah. to articulate it is tough. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite hard. I'm quite... I find it difficult to articulate quite a lot of things, to be honest, because I wouldn't say I'm, I'm the brightest of people, but I know what I'm doing. But to try and explain things like that, the psychological side of things, is I'm always fascinated by it. But yeah, that, for example, is, is quite an interesting subject. But yeah, that's probably another podcast, isn't it? So, oh, 
we can we mix it up this podcast <laughs> has no rules that's why i've started yeah. a podcast <laughs> no bosses and no rules but also to give us uh time to maybe figure out how to articulate some of the things yeah we're thinking or being through you know to be ourselves um yeah i was listening to a fascinating podcast with adam Cincerello, and to hear him talk if you give someone like if you give someone two hours or an hour or just longer form than a quick interview, yeah. even if you don't agree with them or you think they were not a nice person or they're a, you know, an egotistical sportsman, like if you give them yeah. time, you can kind of see where they're coming from and understand yeah, yeah, them. And that's yeah, yeah. also I wanted, what I wanted to do. And I think that documentary um, called High Stakes. What that's was right. The name of it? Yeah, that's a good little plug there I actually. Think I, th- I think it's brilliant because it was long enough uh, to give a real understanding of the highs and lows of a sport, which yeah. that's like, like you say, the psychological side of what, what we go through. And, and those yeah. references to war I've used before, yeah. like it's, it's not for everyone to go through these ups and downs. Like Absolutely not. Crazy, and man. I think i'm not trying to plug this documentary but i do feel like it come out at the wrong time because covid like there was no big there was no promotional activity for it It was just watch this it's pretty cool but i feel like so i I got so many messages to say thank you so much like i thought i was the only one experiencing this and and like some big names as well and like Maybe it was, maybe it did come across well. I feel like I could always add some things to it. But basically what I wanted from that documentary was to to tell people that our lifestyle is it, is, it can be difficult and there's so many different strands to it. So I included, in my opinion, all the right people. So I included Matt Jones uh the reason being was because he was competing he was to, at a point where he he was crashing quite a lot he was winning some big events but he was kind of at a point like fucking i don't know if i want to keep doing this this is pretty gnarly so i i included matt because of his transition to youtube which is what a lot of people are doing so that was the youtube the social media kind of box ticked I wanted to include Anton Tilander, who's a, a Swedish former Red Bull rider, incredible rider, but he had a, he was playing mind games with himself a lot, and he had a very similar outlook of contests as what I did. So he went there to do really well and win, but he wasn't. So that can play on you, and he was a more updated version of myself, and you could see it in his ride. And he was like, ah, "I'm just at the events now." And I feel like he was just clinging on to the lifestyle rather than the competitive side. So he was experiencing what I I had. So I wanted to hear it from him. So that was ticked. And then you've got Manon Carpenter, who won the world champs, like to just basically stopping. Like she's, it was like she hit, she hit maximum. Then what? Like, what do I do now? Do I keep chasing it? Or I'm like, oh, I've completed it now. I'm done. But you could see she was, you know, she was, she was holding tears in, and you could see it. I, like, and I, that really hurt because I was what I was there in a the house as we were interviewing her, and yeah, you don't realize how hard it hits someone, even though they're like retiring, they don't want to really, but they feel like it's the right thing to do. So, 
yeah, I included Manon from that side that she hit. You know, she maxed out and then just dropped off because it was getting too dangerous. What's she chasing? She's completed it. And then you've got Martin Ashton, who was at the, he was like Mr. Personality, like the the greatest guy who I've ever met to ride a bike, paralyzed from doing something he loves. So going from riding this massive swell, everything's getting brilliant and better and better and better to just boom, can't do it anymore. So I wanted to hear his his views of how it, how he's been affected, and obviously, yeah, you could imagine how dark that got. And um, yeah, so was, I wanted to sort of touch on kind of every aspect of almost like what's next and how do you cope with it. And there was really no outcome. I think how I dealt with it, and when I say dealt with it not competing anymore and sort of as you know what they say every athlete has a shelf life and when you're near the end of that shelf life it gets freaking scary dude and it's like shit this is the only thing i know what on earth can i do next and um yeah so yeah it got pretty dark for me and i think it got dark for a lot of other or everyone everyone else that was that was featured but eventually you will find Find a way out. Yeah. It's um watch it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they say athletes die twice. Yeah, I agree. And don't T- you totally. think that sums up sums up a lot yeah. of what you, you spoke about? I don't think it's just yeah. the gentlemen and the ladies in that show. Yeah. One of it's, the most it's popular in general. podcasts was Soderstrom. Yeah. Early on and he really spoke out and, and he was open with his struggles. And I think from athletes to everyday people that maybe don't race at a high level, mm. they think the athletes get to maybe an elite level and it's so easy for them and they're these special type of humans. Yeah. And I'm you know less inclined to agree with that because I just think we're all going through our own struggles and, and people mm. relate to hearing, shucks, people at the top of their industry and sport are still going through everyday struggles. Yeah, and and struggling with these things. So like more people speaking about it, like you doing a documentary, being so yeah. raw, showing yeah. tears. Also, yeah. and technically as a man showing tears, like, oh, that's taboo. You can't do that. Yeah, dude. Especially in a, a sport like slope style. It's like, well, and sport, you can't show weaknesses because then you're competitive no. to have an edge. So yeah. we never used to speak about mental health or going to therapy. Yeah. And now yeah, it's-, it's being more accepted, which is healthier. Yeah, it was something that I really need to sort of touch base on because there was a lot of people around me sort of dropping out and I'm never hearing from them again. And I've, uh, you know, hearing some pretty horrible stories and what they're going through just in like life in general and where they've hit rock bottom. And that was kind of where I was at. And I honestly, yeah, I, I, I got to a point where, I wanted to end it all, genuinely. I was I was at a point where I just wanted to just think, you know what, sod it. And I won't go into detail, but it, it got dark, dude. And I was the only thing that kept me sort of wanting to stay wanted to stay alive was my my youngest daughter, because I just thought I've been brought up from a very I've been very loved from my family, from my both my parents. They both split up when I was about 14, but I understand all that now. But at the time, it sort of hit me. 
but I've always been very well looked after. I've, I haven't really, I haven't experienced like slumming it. I've always been looked after financially. I have, but I, I, I couldn't let my daughter down. Absolutely not. And that was the only thing that kept me going. Um, I, I, I went through a divorce. I lost my house. Yeah, I lost everything. And yeah, I was in a very, very dark place. And I, I didn't have any support because no one, I, I, no one was going through what I was going through. No one, I, I couldn't, no one could relate to it. It was so weird. It's not like, you can, you can totally see why soccer players, football players, like turn to alcoholics or whatever, you know, because 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're like, the shit, documentary like, on like sportsmen what? and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this was all going through my mind and I was like, shit, there's been no, there's, I've got nothing I can look at to. You think it's, ha- them, I, it's numbing the pain, isn't it? It's yeah. like a distraction to numb it, the I think, pain. I think the, like they're going ex- through a grieving process. Yeah, that's exactly it. And because obviously our sport is still so young, there was no, there was nothing to look up to or there was no help. Like, what do I do now? Like, shit, I'm, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna win big events anymore, like. But I want to. But I. I was in such a mess, dude. I didn't know what to think. And there was, yeah, like I said, there was nowhere to look. So, that was when. That was when I started to, you know, moving forward a few years. That was when this documentary. I, I had to make something to help other guys because it was it was horrible to go through. But yeah, I managed to pull pull out. I used to, well, come out the other end, and um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a hell of a ride, dude. But yeah. Oh no, it sounds it. And and this, yeah. the, like all those tough things happen at the same time because you had mm. you lost your stepdad, correct? And you and it, so what came first? Like you decided to retire, or you just kind of your shelf life had come, so you were sort of forced into retiring. Like, what was the decision like walking away from competitive sport? Oh, it was, it was the toughest thing ever. It was. I had, so from 1999, which does seem like a life, like forever ago, from 99 to 2004, I won every single contest I entered. I came second in one, um, which really peed me off. And that, Mike Smith beat me actually, that was at NAS, and he did this big flat spin. I was like, yeah, you can win, that's fine. But I, deep down, I was, fu- I was fuming. So yeah, I and then... I went over to the States. I won Cowan's Backyard Jam, and that was against all the, all the big guns, and that was a massive turning point. Yeah, right. Let's not gloss over that. Maybe we can. Maybe this is a good segue to yeah. gloss into the career span and then the, yeah. you know, the retirement. Okay, cool. When you had this crazy career rock style, style yeah. shit. Yeah, it was. It was, it was mega. There was and, a um, lot of positives to it, right? Yeah, there was. And this is probably why it made me, this is probably why I ended up going from one extremely high to the opposite. Like, that's why, I, I think that's probably why I did go as low as I did. Because I, like, I did come from nothing to something, like, pretty rapidly as well. And that was kind of hard to, like, accept coming back out of it. So I went over to, the US in 2004 and that was that was a massive contest it was the first time I ever traveled abroad I never left the UK and these and everyone was there it was straight um I think Berkeley was there Paul Bass Zinc all, all, all the big freeride names they're all there 
chemicals there. And I just walked up, this kid from Southampton, baggy jeans. I had a few sponsors at the time. And um, yeah, I was riding You've for Hannibal. wearing Vans? Yeah, I was, I was wearing Vans, yeah. I was wearing, ah, oh, was I? Yeah, I must have been. That's all I've ever worn. I wore Etnies one year. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so I went over to the US with Ross Tricker, former DMR team manager, rider. Yeah, and I beat you all. And I, it was that John Carroll's backyard dirt jump jam thing, and I beat them all. And, and at the time, it was um, it was kind of, in my opinion, it was re- regarded as the biggest dirt jump mountain bike dirt jump contest in the world because it was all the biggest names were there. The jumps were freaking awesome, and I, I won that. So in my head, I was like, "Yeah, I'm 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 going to be like the unofficial world champion." That's what I'm going to call myself. <laughs> So I kind of, I so I kind of went with that, like, yeah, I've just beaten all my heroes, so I must be like one of the best. And then got home, I cashed in my fifteen hundred dollar check, which you know at the time was like insane money. How have I just got that much money for doing like bastards and tail whips and stuff? This is amazing. I'm getting like, I'm getting an extra bonus. And then the the following year, I crashed in really bad at during a demo and um that's in the documentary as well but i basically i landed on my handlebars uh i was trying this big 360 i was in Portugal. sorry let me start again i was in portugal with lance mcdermott who was a bit of a ledge at the time upcoming rider and timo pritzel who was one of my german heroes he was in new world disorder films all that and um yeah i did the over rotated the 360 landed on my handlebars and i got sent to this really crappy Portuguese hospital in an ambulance on my own. And yeah, and I, and they gave me an ultrasound when I got there. I, bear in mind, I'm in excruciating pain. I thought like my guts would have been pushed out my back. That's how the force, that's how bad the force was. And they gave me a paracetamol and said, no, you're fine. Uh, go home. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're, you'll be fine and then um, sleep it off yeah mate and then luckily the next day Shit. our flight was yeah our flight was the next day and I was driving back down the road with Robin Kitchen and I said Robin I'm dying dude I'm 100% dying so I made the call to my parents saying I was going to die and everything and and then um, yeah I got rushed into hospital and then they had to operate on me instantly so yeah I, I basically I split my pancreas so your pancreas sits quite near your spine at the back and it's one of the most delicate organs in your body and it just it was broken like that pretty much and it was basically it opened up and all the enzymes which break down all the sugars in your body was moving throughout my whole body and eating me alive basically it was insane i don't know if you've ever seen the film three kings with ice cube and george clooney and and a bullet goes in and it does like this x-ray shot of the bullet go and it shows what happens like going through and all this bile going everywhere that was all that was in my head i was like i feel like i've been shot never been shot but yeah it was gnarly so um and that was kind of when everything changed my confidence just plummeted and and yeah it was that was the worst part of my career i think that was that was that was that was the end in my of my competitive career. 
that's for sure. What on in the hindsight? Royal, on the, looking, yeah, yeah. Looking in back, hindsight, looking yeah. back, that's when it. Looking back, when it, it just it was. I, I didn't realise I was pretty confident then, and even after the back, contest, when you came back. even when I come back, I was still fairly confident. But I knew at the back of my mind, I was like, "That hurt. I can't. I don't want to do that again." And um, yeah, that was that was a definite turning point like an unspoken of turning point if you know like you said in hindsight that's probably what sort of kick-started the the downward spiral of the my of my competitive career yeah yeah but subconsciously you realize the worst case is not something you would yeah. do. like yeah you felt what physically emotionally you almost died and having to make that yeah. call yeah that, that was a like, wow this could happen again like you don't yeah. really want to risk as much yeah, I think it was it was a wake up call for sure. Like what I'm doing is is very dangerous. Like there's still and there's still so much progression ahead. <clears throat> it's like how far am I willing to push it? And there's and at that time it was just when like front flips and things started to get introduced and it was like, Oh god, here we go again. Like, am I ready for that as well? So that was kind of also another reason for me to be like I don't know if I can continue to do this like as quick as it is like the progression like the rate was just when when I went like that the progression went that and I'm like I'm going the opposite direction everything was going wrong and I think that's what played a big part in everything so then that was when I decided to just focus on um, media and just doing more photo shoots with MBUK and things but it it still didn't feel right, and my motivation dropped because there was no. I, I wasn't competing. I, I was still competing, but I wasn't making podium, and it was. It killed me, dude. It really killed me. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> yeah, how hard is it? How hard is it doing something you love for so long, as a child, and then, I was at the point at some races like you're just going through the motions. You don't always want to be there. Yeah, you know, and it's meant to be this fun, passionate thing, but it becomes a job where you just go. It's the last thing I want to do. Yeah, is ride my it, bike that used to bring me so much joy. Yeah, and and I felt like I, I it was it was became a, I hate to say it because I was riding for Kona at the time, which was regarded as like the coolest team to be a part of, like the clump team, and there was like Bordeaux, Paul Bass, the Lacondigies on there. I was on there. Uh, Dave Watson just was yeah the tail end and then Carlin Dunn oh, like I think I've listed them all off but all those guys and I kind of I saw it as a bit of a chore and I felt like I was taking it for granted like thankfully I, I was still good don't get me wrong and I know I was and I was still performing well but I wasn't performing how I wanted so I was kind of just there I was just tagging along like but and it it probably did show because I wasn't in the mindset of progressing anymore because I kind of not gave up, but yeah, I was just in a very weird place. And that was when, that's when it just started to get worse, I guess. That's when, yeah, yeah. And it all sort of spiraled down and it's, and dude, it spiraled for, it spiraled for like 10 years, dude, like for a long time. Well, you um, kept it going for like 10 yeah, years. I, yeah. I just, kind yeah. Of what, yeah, maybe exactly. Inside knowing it's not, yeah. not what you need to be doing. Exactly that. Yeah. So for like 
I think it would have been for a good, a solid 10 years. I was just, this goes back to when I left school. I was now at a point where like, what do I do now? Like, do I, do I continue riding? Do I go back to a normal life? Which is, I mean, when I say a normal life, like work, (laughs) actual work, not getting paid to ride. And that was like the hardest decision for me. And, And I just thought, thankfully, because I've bottled all of this, these emotions up and I don't want to tell people to do one. Thankfully, I kept a really good support network within the industry. Like the mountain bike industry is a very small industry and you, you piss off one person, you it has a knock-on effect because that person could end up going somewhere else and then that person will be told about you. And it all That's kind of how it is within our sport. So I was like, thankfully, I was... I was chirpy enough to, and and I was still pretty positive that I did keep hold of all these these contacts to continue doing what I loved. So yeah, I do thank every single one of my sponsors, every single one of them, for um, I suppose believing in me, even though I didn't believe in myself. You know, I was just sort of, I say milking it, I guess. Yeah, but um, yeah, it worked. It worked out. It worked out eventually. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really know. Go with it. I'm spiraling again. No, it, it is so so fascinating. But what was like? So we're we're at the point sort of before social media, and then there were these yeah. video parts and and traveling around the world and getting paid to do that. Yeah. Like at the time, were you pinching yourself? Like it was the the free ride and slope style style of the sport was more rock star than the racing side right oh yeah yeah gotcha a lot of adrenaline and egos and uh, the crowd pumping you up yeah and then after parties after after parties and then on to the next venue yeah like it's a pretty surreal way to to earn a living yeah and i think that i mean to any normal person they'd frown upon it would be frowned upon how can that be a job but like you know crazy enough it is and we're at the forefront of it and that period was, I, I suppose, kind of saved me in a way as well from me thinking too many dark thoughts because there were still some good things being done, right? So there was all these video projects that I was included in. So there was still time for progression, but on different features or something, something new. So there was still that goal to be good at, at something, on something, not necessarily winning. Like, yes, I was still competitive, but I still had that, I want to do a world first or something. So that's when video projects were were really big and so I did I did have something to look forward to still. But yeah, that was that I would say is the was the golden era, you know, like there was events like 26 tricks where all you boys would be riding the downhill and then the after party would be right let's go watch the slope style guys and let's just go and smash loads of beer glasses everywhere and just smash the place up it just it got out of hand at some point but most of the times it was <laughs> it was pretty rock and roll dude yeah we, we would there would be a lot of parties and i think everything that i went through came out at the parties <laughs> so i was known as a bit yeah. of a party uh, i was known as a bit of a party animal so all my not aggression but i'd say i've got a bit of a personality and when i've had a few drinks it comes out even more and now, yeah, some some parties were really good. <laughs> yeah, 
and you think it was it's literally uh blowing off steam right not i'm yeah, not condoning so. all behavior yeah. but yeah. to me it's a fascinating like if you go look at the why yeah it's no doubt yeah. you know yeah. the race is pent up and no yeah. partying drinking and sacrificing yeah, right. and then it would all come out and and maybe the you guys as well like yeah you might have a few beers leading up to calm the nerves yeah but you did keep it in a pile and then you psych yourself up for this <clears throat> 30 to 40 second run which could yeah. injure you yeah or it could change the next five years of your career if you think about it. like you yeah. do well at a slope style at a crankworks or these big events like your yeah. name's in the history book and yeah. you can kind of ride that wave with sponsors for longer than than you probably think. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, the the way a slope style rider back then dealt with it was because I think like it's all because I think it's all down to when it was, and it was still it was still young, and no one really understood. No one. Look, we're, we're having fun on our bikes every single day. So that's classed as training, but we don't see it as training. So, but when we know that there's a contest, we're like, okay, so this is when it gets a bit serious and no one knew how to deal with it. So the only way that I dealt with it would be by getting drunk. And it really would be that the night before. So the funniest time was we're at, like the Cash Guys series was a really big series and they like Nissan pumped in millions and we all got appearance fees. We all got thousands just to just turn up. So we're like, freaking hell, this is like, we've made it. And, but we still couldn't, we didn't really know how to manage it. Like each ride, there was a couple of guys that were managed by Tarek and like Martin and a few other of the guys were, they all had managers, but even they weren't getting managed properly because everyone was smashed. Like, Going back to the yeah, so going going a bit off topic there, but when we're at Newcastle, <laughs> please do we want yeah. the unheard we're, story. I yeah, want him. So we're at Newcastle, and I think it was I think Lance was there, and there's a few of the UK guys. I think Lance probably tried to have a fight with Straight or something. It always it, there was always something happening. Lance was a pain, but um, we were so drunk, and I got in at I think probably like three or four in the morning, like wasted absolutely steaming and bear in mind like we, we got a ride the next day and there's all these big screens it's all live on i can't remember what it was live on freecast or eurosport or something might even been red bull i don't know um and i'm at the top of this tower and they're like okay uk based freerider grand chopper food are about to drop in and then i just come up to the edge and i'm like one sec on the big screen and there's thousands of people watching it's all over it's live on the internet everyone's watching from all over the world and i'm like one second and i'm underneath the big red bull arch and then i put my bike down take my helmet off and i'll put my head over the edge and just and i just throw up and it's quite windy and it was going it was like sick rain going everywhere it was it was going over quite a few people and then i'm like no oh ways. my god this is really bad and then I dropped in and and did the first tail whip drop in a contest and landed it clean. For, uh, and I didn't even ride that day. I just woke up from a party. After being sick before yeah. the run. <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. And then did a tail whip drop off this little skinny about this big, which was pretty scary. And then landed that. That was the first one. Yeah, 
well, on wood anyway. I think Paul Bass Dunning at Crankworx, but it was so funny. And every single rider there, I remember Cam, Goldman, Watts, everyone was just, because it was hilarious. Because that was, that was just how it was. It was just rock and That was how yeah, rock and I roll mean, was. We're not condoning it, right? It's just the nature <laughs> yeah. of the beast. Like yeah, it happened. exactly. I so know, let's right. talk about it. Like that's how rough and raw the sport was. You guys yes, knew no better. No. And it was just like a way to release the tension and the pressure that you, I guess you weren't yeah. used to, like you said, but we were just down the woods yeah, having a jam format, right? Pushing yeah. each other, learning new tricks. And then you're like, okay, yeah. now let's box these riders into the schedule and live TV and all these things they're not used to, you know, and the yeah. appearance fees. Like, how would you not think you're a rock star? You're getting treated like one. Well, you, that's you it. You don't get told off. You don't get in trouble for anything. Like, it's still like everyone. No wonder you become these sort of selfish, egotistical monsters. At, at yeah, times. and it's funny because um, there's a guy called Dick Cox who's uh, who's quite <laughs> up high up. He was quite high up in Coma at the time. Say that. That's annoying. That's not a. It's his name. No, no, that's his I actual mean, no name. I mean, no disrespect. But no, I mean, no disrespect. Yeah, I was and he knows. Off guard but he knows it. So if Dick My Cox, apologies. if you're listening, you you're the man. So um, yeah. I remember Dick Cox labelled us all in the Kona team as cartoon characters. Like we were all our individual sort of superheroes. And and it was so true. But that doesn't that wasn't just our team. That was the whole of our sport in general. That was all the slope style riders. Like you had like Darren Pacoy from Australia, who was this little rock star, like guy with flesh tunnels and riddled with tattoos. And then you had someone like Lance, who was like this supermodel looking like ego crazy like action figure guy and then you've got the the two laconda it was like wwf you know is everyone had their own personality and that's why it worked and that was but and, and now like everyone's kind of no disrespect to the guys but it's all quite similar because there is a lot more structure and everyone's got to be a bit more cleaner and a bit more careful with things and that's kind of how i see it now but back then was yeah it was it was nuts. It really was nuts. Every weekend as well, that like people throwing up at the start tower, probably. It was that bad. And it was big <laughs> really money. Like, didn't Paul Bass win like a hundred grand that season? Or yeah. I mean, there was huge um, money at that cash guy thing. What were you guys yeah, raking gotcha. in there in a good year? So um, I remember each, each rider got to, to win just one event, one stop. I think they got. I think it's like 15 grand or something, or maybe 20. It was like fairly reasonable, like if it was every other month, but this was every weekend. Um, so I remember the first year, Bearclaw, Darren Bearclaw, he won, I can't remember what he won, but he ended up winning the overall as well. And you get an extra bonus on that. And he won like an extra 50K, like euros or something. And it was like, like that's a lot of money, like extra, like... That was pretty nuts. And I remember that year, we're all at Crankworks and we're all on Bear Claw's boat and Paul Bass is on the boat as well. And he's like, this should have been my fucking boat. <laughs> 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 Which is probably, you know, because Paul rode really well that year, but Darren stole it. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, yeah, hearing that on the, uh, yeah, hearing that that day made me laugh. That was hilarious. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, there, there was <laughs> there was a yeah, it was the way you said it. But there was a lot. There was a lot of money at stake back then. Um, but even now as well. But back then, it just yeah, there was a lot of money. Yeah. What, what do you what do you make of it now? Like, I guess it's I think been cleaned up a little bit more. Uh, it's been more professionalized. <laughs> uh, to be honest, you know, I. I th- when Seminex started dominating and then read it, it's like, man, you've got to be so dedicated and robotic to have a, a chance. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you do. has I th- moved on a bit. Yeah, I think um, I think something like the, the Cash Guy series could happen again. It's just the question of getting the right sponsors and the people behind it is the most important thing. You've got people like Tarek Rosoli who's been doing it from day one. If it wasn't for that guy, Europe and maybe the world – stage wouldn't be as nowhere near as good as it is today and that's with the support of lots of red bull um events as well but i think um i think something like that could happen again but i but at the same time that probably gave these like today's current events that platform you know so they probably saw that and thought let's bring that to a more mountain bike ski slope resort rather than the cities like i don't know I'm not really a, an event specialist, but it would be good to see something like that again. But then again, you've got Red Bull District Ride as well. So and you see, and all the all the riders come together and it just it's just a cool publicity stunt, I suppose, for mountain biking. And I don't really know where I'm going with this, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the those like Audi 9s events, like they yes, kind of take yeah. over these jam format events, Dogfest, yeah. I guess. I think... What I like about riders built for the riders. Yeah, what that's that's exactly what I think is important for our sport because, like biking, you got so many different breeds of riders, and not everyone wants to compete. And if you do want to compete, you can't just go and ride the biggest contest. You have got to work your way up. But there's also opportunities, like you say, like Audi Nines and Darkfest and Huckfest or whatever these events are, and it just gives everyone a good platform to train for because it's very similar to how I was when I was riding for video parts. It was, it still gives that rider. Cause I think where I'm going with it needles is like, I think every single rider has a goal. I don't care what you say, but everyone has a goal. Everyone wants, Oh, I just want to get a bit more sideways. That's a goal. You know, like people don't just ride for the sake of it. People want to be able to, progress and that's what i love about these events outside of the fmb and crankworks events because it because of exactly that reason so yeah i i want to start doing more of that um i did get invited to huckfest recently but it was a bit last minute but i would like to start riding some big stuff yeah just to for a bit of fun so you've still got that itch because i was gonna say oh, hell when yeah. did you find <clears throat> when did you find yourself and become comfortable in your say let's say your own skin yeah being yourself and this character in the industry post competitiveness because you're judging yeah. you've got brands you work for brands like when yeah. did that maybe walk me through that transition and now like how long it took to be like okay this is who i am i'm comfortable with this is what i provide you know yeah, so I think that all started um, back in 2016. So Sam Pilgrim had his own invitational at, in Birmingham, which was a drop and a jump and a quarter pipe. And I I just, I really wanted to do well there. 
because it's is my it's home setting there was there wasn't many jumps <laughs> so i didn't have to string a whole run together so i could just focus on just doing a couple of bangers and it was a jam format and it was cash for tricks but there was an overall winner at the end of it and i i don't know why but i thought i'm going to beat everyone today and and i'm and think about that there was there was pilgrim there was reynolds there was matt mcduff there was these massive names there and i just thought i I'm going to win today because <laughs> my youngest, well, my eldest now, but she was three at the time and she was there. And I was like, right, I'm going to, right, I'm going to show off in front of my youngest. Yeah. And I won that event and I was like, right, I'm done. Let's end on a high. So I'm in control of that. Do you know what I mean? So I wanted to okay. win on a, so I wanted to leave on a high. So I'd done some gnarly stuff, which put like some of my closest mates were like, like Gilly was there, my hero at the time. It kind of everything fell into place and he's laughing like dude you rode incredible like because i just felt free i felt like i found myself and after that i i kind of I, yeah because i ended it on a high i kind of knew what i wanted to do i was like right okay now now i feel like a good now i feel like i can now i feel like i've figured this out now i know what i just want i just want to ride for fun now because I didn't crash and get beaten at an event to, and then just stop. I had to do that, and it was it was perfect time. And I was so, and it was at, and it was 2016, so it's not it wasn't that long ago. Still seven years ago, but yeah. And that and then that's when I realised I I just wanted to ride for fun and 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 be more more of a media hoe. So do lots of photo shoots still like for magazines because magazines were still kind of like the pinnacle. Like in my opinion, still the best thing to be a part of because it's still quite a niche thing to be a part of. And also little video projects and just keeping my sponsors sweet. Quite generally, that was the whole social media thing, like making sure I'm topping up a video a week, that kind of thing. And and then it sort of dawned on me like. I want contests to start being judged properly again. So I started to think about all the times when I was riding back in the day and I, I got stitched up so much and lots of guys got stitched up because the judging was just so, and it wasn't the judge's fault. It was because the sport was still so young, like none of these events were being judged correctly. And that sort of made me think, okay, I would like to help this because I, I'm, I'm, one of very few guys that are in it from the start who can still keep up with these guys. I've just won a contest. Maybe I should start thinking about making this judging thing a little bit more like, well, better. So that's when I, I phoned up Paul Rack, who's one of, who's now one of, one of my best mates. I love the bloke he's been, and he's been judging crankworks events and lots of the F and B events for the past what feels like 20 years, a long time. And he's got a snowboard background. So there's only so much he knows, but he, he understands the format. And over time, he, he's understood the, the, um, the physics behind it all. So he understands how tricks work and what's harder, what's not through, through experience, but he, he hasn't done it. So the reason why I wanted to be involved with, with judging was because of that, because I could still ride. I understand and, I, and I'm pretty quick with understanding what tricks are what. And then now the judging is is at a point where 
it can't get any better. I mean, it could, yeah, of course it could always get better, but we are on it. Um, and the judge panel now, up until this year, consists of only former riders, which is so important. Um, yeah, that's 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 where it's at right now. So the transition from, I, I needed to end on a high to keep that that positive attitude and mentality going into something like judging, which requires a little bit more professionalism. So maybe that's when Grant comes back in, if you know what I mean, rather than this chopper personality. Because the one thing that I was always concerned about was people think, because of my personality, I was a bit of a joker and a bit of a party goer. I'd, I wanted people to realise that there is a, another side to me and I am very professional. I've run my own business since 2013, going to schools, um, which I can talk about in a bit. But I wanted people to see that side of things. So I wanted people to understand that I am a professional guy as well as a an idiot called Chopper sometimes, you know. So, yeah, it was interesting. It was a good tra- – it, it was a weird transition, but fun. Yeah, well, they all are. Like Mine yeah. looks – Decent on paper, but it's been one of the craziest challenging things, and it is still a challenge. Every day is this new challenge. What is the system of the judging now? Like, how many judges do you also score because you now moved into head judge? Like, maybe break down how, as a run ends, how many judges are looking at it, how you guys sort of judge, and then how do you make sure there's not someone being a little bit too biased towards a rider? Because you still know some of the riders. You might like a certain style over another style or a trick over another trick. I think no matter who you are, you will always have some kind of biasy in a way um, towards some... I I have my favourite riders. Of course I do. But that all gets put in... That gets locked away the moment the contest happens. Because of every single judge, every judge on, on our panel has experienced that. So they know that they want to, they want every single rider to be judged completely fair. So that's they so every every year we do a judge clinic where it's almost like what pilots do, you know, like just to make sure just topping them up with making sure that they know what they're doing basically. Well the, the last thing I want is for a judge to be biased. Otherwise, they, they won't be on it. I, I would, I will quite. I'd pull them out. I'd call them out on it and just say, "Look, dude, like you can't be, you can't be on this panel." Like, there's already been a, a few judges where I've had to say, "Look, dude, you sorry, we can't have you anymore. <laughs> you, you're too biased on certain, not just necessarily riders, but for. I'm sorry, dude, but you're you're focusing way more on style than how difficult that was on that feature. Say so. Yeah, each of the judge. Each each of our judges were former former riders who know what they're talking about. Yeah. So this the things we look for from start to finish are so the moment a rider drops in, they are a, they are a silhouette. We've always seen every single rider as a silhouette. We all have a steno, and we say if there's just for example there's five features. So there's a drop, a jump, jump a wall ride and then a quarter pipe or something we would label that so it just it'd be a little graph and there'd be two boxes for each one for run one and run two and each judge has a, their own little shortcuts so the little shorthand so if you did uh, 
a flat drop flip straight off the start, I personally would just write F. And if it was a nice poppy one, I'd probably put a little arrow in there just to remind myself. And then the next, then then the next trick could be a triple truck. I would write TT, and if it was a nice or it was on a nice angle, I'd adjust it with arrows. Or if they case, I'd put a very small little case mark. So everyone has their own sort of hieroglyphics in a way to to write down what. And that's 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 all we do. So during the contest, that's all we do. Boom. And then at the end, we go through the criteria. Okay, so looking at practice runs, guys. But like, do you think that that could that could win it? And we're like, no, we're we're sort of thinking around mid pack. So, say if a guy's done a mediocre run, so he's started off with a flip, triple truck, fronty, a three, and then a tower pair or something. For us, that's a pretty average run it, today's. And because of our experience, we know that that's where that's going to sit. Because watching practice is important, so then we know what's going to happen. So we would think to ourselves, okay, so difficulty. That was, yeah, pretty good on that feature. Okay, what about that? What about that? Okay, right. How technical was it? Was it smooth? Was there any cases in there? How high did the guy go? And was it stylish? Like how how effortless did this guy make it look? And we get all these, all these criteria goes through each of our riders, uh, each of our judges' head. And then we come up with a score. And the one thing that I want people to recognize is the first score, no matter who it is, always has to be pretty low you imagine if we go in with mm. 99 yeah it's just a ranking system <clears throat> so it's yeah it's almost irrelevant so, yeah so when a score comes in we have to it always has to be uh, like not that high simply because we've got another 13 riders to come plus that guy's second run that's another 27 runs we have to fill and then that's when people are like, ah, oh, okay, I get it. So the very first score is always the hardest score. We call that the anchor score because that's what's going to set the bar for everyone. So it might be a mediocre run, boom. Okay, we'll put that around 66 or something. But then the next rider could absolutely destroy it. So we need to make sure that there is a big enough gap from that 66. So... We can't go too high because there's still space there for another 26, 25 more runs. So we might have to just come down to about there. Do you know what I mean? So when when we are writing these scores, it's nothing to do. We there's nothing. It's nothing to do with the number. It's to do with this scale the ranking right yeah just yeah, the, it's yeah. all ranking. ranking it's all ranking yeah, so it might be a claw about that yeah that's all it is so when you see a score of 66.66 they'd be like how the hell did you come up with that number it's just where the bar is it's just the the data capture it's just oh that's the number uh, okay that's cool okay so it's not because judges like one <clears throat> Gave them this number and two and three and no. you add it up and it gets to that. No. So so sometimes you will see uh, a contest where it's really tight between the riders and then you'll see a number there of 92 and then a number there of 89 and you'll be like, whoa, that's like three points. That could All that guy needs to do is a bar spin. Like, no. That guy would have to do an extra bar spin on every feature as well as a front flip or something. But that, that means Fair nothing. Enough. So So we need to... So what we tend to do is we try to get all the guys to slot him in perfectly in the middle. 
So then there's still space there and still space there. It's as weird as it sounds, but it's all about it. It is purely ranking. However, yeah, yeah, that's what I said to Bearclaw. Yeah, it could just be a ranking system. Yeah, it, it totally could. But, but I feel it's but the, but never the numbers, been like that. It is a ranking system. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to say, oh, that guy's got a higher line, you know? So you have to add numbers, and it looks good, and it's and it's. I think it's all down to um, it's very what's the word? It's historic, isn't it? It's it's numbers. It's you can't really change that. So yeah, that's that's how we that's how we judge. Um, some guys might prefer like only only a fraction. They might prefer style over difficulty, but that's why we have five guys on the panel at these gold and diamond events. So we'd have like Anton Tielander, who's who would be able to list off every single one of Emil's run. Like he'd, he'd know all the tricks, boom. Sometimes, as probably the entire world, everybody's like, what the hell did he just do then? And even sometimes on the judge panel, we have to come back to that trick through the highlight reel because Emil is so technically ahead. So we have to make sure... Hang on a minute. Oh, that was an oppo tail whip. Okay, and now he did it that way. That way, it's all like that. And even as small as like bar spin in the opposite way, like just noticing things like that. It's it's um, yeah. We we take into account everything, and having Anton there is very helpful in, in that sense because he really understands Emil because he rides with him a lot. But there's no biasy there whatsoever. And then you've got a rider like Fedco, as we all know, he. He rides incredibly smooth and goes so high and all of his tricks are extended and he's got a great variety. But he probably spins to the left too much. Do you know what I mean? So we all we all have these different views on on each rider and like Simon Goodjack, for example, I think that's everyone's favourite because he does he brings motocross elements to it. So he does massive cliffhanger flips and and then it goes straight into it like a bmx cork seven like perfect and then double flip he he mixes it up so well so that kind of rider for an overall impression ticks a lot of the boxes there as well so yeah it's we, we all have our own sort of views on each rider which is like what i said we we that's why we have a a lot of guys on the panel at, at these big events because it's it's career changing you know yeah, so I, I get it from commentary quite a lot. Like, I feel like I'm super in the sport. The nerves start setting in before we go live. Do you think it kind of scratches that itch that after giving up competitiveness and now you in this competitive nature with these people you know in a sport you're passionate about, but then you've got to perform? Yeah, you've got I to be think, on it um, judging. Yeah, I think that's when passion comes into it, right? And passion pays no matter what job you do. So, the moment the moment we're about to judge, my heart rate is just normal. It's so relaxed because I'm passionate about it. I'm in control. Like, um, if if I would if I was sh- if I'm shaking like this about to judge, you shouldn't be judging. Like, the the main thing for me when I judge these events is to make sure that every single rider comes away from it feeling that was fair because that's what a lot of the guys on the panel have, have experienced. Like they've been stitched up. There might still be the occasional dispute on who should have come where here, there and everywhere, but it, we are learning. We're learning every single time and it's getting better and better. 
Um, for example, you've got Emil winning everything at the moment. And you can hear, not hear, but, well, you can actually at some of the events, but then you see online, everyone's everyone's sick of it. Imagine being Emil, being that good, that everyone's yeah. bored of you now. Like, it's so unfair. And what's funny is I, I will give you, like, some good inside information here. Emil done a run the other, I think it is it, it was in Innsbruck and his first run, Brett Reader was behind us all in the, uh, in the tower watching us judge because he was interested. And he came and it was when David beat Emil on his second run. Oh yeah. So David did a second run and then David beat Emil's first run. But, and then Emil went and done his second run and then beat David. If, if if I'm right, along if I remember, I think but so. What, yeah, but, that's how I remember. So yeah, that sounds about right, doesn't it? But what what's funny is that there was a big dispute. Like David should have won that. David should have won that. But yet you've got Brett Reader stood right behind us, who's won Rampage, who's won countless amounts of gold and diamond events, saying, "I think Emil's first run would have beaten David's anyway." So this is this is why it's so interesting because you've got someone like the world's best biker to have ever ridden like Rampage or whatever. You've got Brett Reader stood behind it saying that. So it's like, okay, um, Brett, do you want to come and judge? You know, like we're always looking for that extra person. And the only people that can judge are the people that have done it. So I would I would rather have Brett say yeah, you were right, over a thousand people saying you were wrong. Because for me, that's the only person who knows. So that's my point. That's that's the message I just want to send out to a lot of people, which, pe- which people don't hear. People don't hear that. He's as, no, and he's as credible as credible can be. Oh, exactly. You said a few interesting things there, like you're calm, your heart rate's low. Yeah. That's because you're experienced and you're prepared. Yeah. So you've done exactly. all the work and then you're going yeah. into this – high stress environment but that's kind of like an athlete if you get yourself i've done the training i've done everything it's stressful but i just calm myself because i've done everything i can you know yeah and that's but it really is it's such a tough job i said it to bearclaw i've said it to you in person yeah i i don't want the judging job like even me commentary and then you've got the speed and style i'm like oh i don't know about that and did they get that right we've all got an opinion yeah um but you guys are the one in the trenches doing the best you can, and you might make yeah. some mistakes. That's human yeah. nature. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. I I am going to blow our own trumpets right now, but we very rarely make mistakes because for us, that's when the passion. You know, that's where like sometimes we get we get you see one of us like this. Hey, chopper, we need the scores now! Like, fucking hurry up! We're like, dude, like. I don't care how much this is costing. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. How much of of your satellite in the air? Yeah. So we're going to do the right job here. Yeah. But I I do, I do respect it. You know, obviously if it, it's broadcasted, but and I understand it costs money if we're taking too long and it's eating away at EastEnders at six o'clock or whatever, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, but I get it. But at the same time, that's that's why we have the guys who we have on the panels because we've been there. We're quick, we're decisive, and we're calm, and that's why we we are as good as we are. Like like you said, we are human. We we will make the odd the odd. There might be the odd slip up, but 
we're trying. We are trying, and it's if and if we had five. Yeah, I mean five judges, and and you've just some, said something I kind of knew along. It's a ranking system. Like if five yeah. guys can just go, okay, replay the run. Yeah. Out of the five people, is Emil better than him? Like we're not going off score. It's like where's the ranking system? Are you sure? Yeah. Can we yeah. slot him there? Like if we slot him there, yeah. are we comfortable? So you you, you know you've got so to get, a point. You can, I, I will you can give get you the another... ranking right. Yeah, so I'll give you another breakdown there as well. So when it does become very tight, say, for example, you've got David Guziek and Emil who are at the top. It seems to be first and second right now at these events. And what we always do is we always have a separate piece of paper for when it does become tight because it gets really packed, like mid-table as well. So it could be seventh and eighth. That's where it always gets really tight, gets really bunched up, which we try to avoid, but it's always difficult. But we always have the separate sheet where we would write down, okay, let's put, let's say, let's take you and me, for example, right? Let's put Chopper there and Needles, right? Let's write, let's put their runs down and we're going to compare each one, right? So we compare, okay, Chopper's one was better. Yep. Okay. Needles was better there. Well, like each feature. So each, each feature, feature, yeah. Like so each feature, feature. feature, yeah. Exactly that. So we'd be like, okay, so, right. Okay. So Chopper comes out on top. Okay. So each feature, Chopper's won that. Okay. That feature that Needles won on there, that was so heavy, that outweighs that first feature that Chopper done. So we don't we, we don't judge feature for feature. We're like, okay, so he done a flip whip off that flat drop near the end. That was pretty ballsy. Who Needles did. Yeah, wow. you, yeah, you just Wicked. did, which is on your downhill first bike somehow. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. Like, so we have to take the weight from that and think – that was better than Chopper's first two runs. Okay, so now we're kind of level now. Okay, Needle style was pretty sick though. Okay, so you've just topped it there. Oh, you and, and, and then you the so? difficult. Yeah, you, it was. You yeah, your style again, like now your flip whip. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, your flip whip with triple clap, triple claps on. And then, okay, so the difficulty outweighs that. Okay, right. Okay, Needles has got this. Okay, and then we go back to the scoreboard. This is why. This is what takes so long. Okay, we're going to slot them in there now. Okay, so you're just going to take your. I'm not going to give you too many points above, but I'm going to give you just enough in case Chopper doesn't doesn't beat that second one you've done. So Chopper can still like improve, but won't beat you still. So even if I added an extra three tail whips, I still it still hasn't beaten you. It could be like you could be on ninety three, and I could be on ninety one, and. I, I'll end up going in 92, even though I've just smashed my fort, my previous run that still didn't beat yours. So score is irrelevant. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's so wicked. We, we, so really when there is, is, it's come so a when long there is, way. Eh? Oh God, it's, it's crazy. Like, and raw motion, the guys behind all the graphics side of things. The first few crank works is so much bitching about the judging, right? Oh God. And yeah. I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it out on the judges new sports, tough people learning new tricks. And now like you hear so much less of that. And I, you know, I'm ignoring the keyboard warriors. I'm saying at the event with people in the know, Yeah, you speak to the rider, say, what do you think? And they'll be like, no, a hundred percent. That person should have been ahead. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I don't know the sport at your level. That's why I'm asking. Are, Are we good? It's probably, it hasn't created enough controversy anymore, like because it's so good. 
it hasn't. It has. It probably yeah, doesn't yeah, make controversy. Is fun, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it like probably doesn't talking make, and rewatching yeah. the highlights. Yeah, exactly. It probably doesn't make your job as fun as entertaining to watch because there's no dispute. Because they're like, yeah. So and soon as they find out that the rest of the field are like, yeah, I think the results were good. Everyone's just silent. It's like, okay, see you next year. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like it's almost you, like a meal winning too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so you, you guys. You can't win, but it is yeah. So it's quite funny on that sense. But yeah, I'm 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 really proud of all the judges because it's going back to um, for, well, going back to when I first got into it. It I, it was pretty scary. I went straight into the deep end at a gold event. So my very first event judging, I I judged twenty six tricks, and I was alongside a few of the other a few other guys that were judging there. And no offense to the guys, but they were dreadful. And Hank, who's the BMX <laughs> Olympic ju- head judge of the Olympics, he was there, and he was the, he was the head judge of Twenty Six Tricks at the time. And he saw me. He was like, "Chop, I've never met you before, but you have absolutely smashed this." And that was what gave me the motivation to be like, "I'm stoked with this. Yeah, let's go. Let's keep going." Awesome. So you had someone so, that like believed in you in that yeah, next part so, of your yeah. Career. So I I kind of yeah. So I'm I'm. I'm grateful to Tarek for inviting me to that event, but mostly down to Hank for saying how good I was. And I needed that little boost outside of biking or outside of competing to say, you can do other things outside of of this, you know? So, um, yeah, that that was really helpful. Interesting how much that validation helps. God, yeah. Yeah, it does. And I feel... having a mentor or someone ahead of you saying, you've got this because we're all doubting it. I doubt myself on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. And, and and we all do. Um, yeah. It's nice to have that validation. People don't realize how important it is or giving that to someone if it's a true uh, feeling you have of someone. You say, hey, yeah. keep yeah. it up. You, you have something here. And I, I, think, I think that's important for a lot of riders because, yes, you might be a part of a team, but at the end of the day, it's still down to your individual performance, right? So you need a pat on the back. And if you're not getting, like, slope style riders, for example, you just get your mates like, yeah, man, that was sick. And everyone just goes to sleep, that was it. Like, or, I mean, if you've got a manager, it's great, but I feel I feel like with slope style riders, it was, it, you never really, you've always been on your own the whole time. Like, no one, everyone's against each other. Like, if, if I'm competing against you, dude, I don't want you to win, I want to win. You know, and and then the moment all that's taken away from you, it's it's tough. And like you said, yeah, this whole judging thing is and being told that I'm good outside of that is just what you need. Like, do you know where I'm going with it? Like, yeah, I don't know. Kind of going off on one again. That's the whole point. Yeah, to yeah. Figure out how to articulate our inner feelings. As yeah, well, they, there we go. Like I still can't <laughs> hey, figure it all out. Hey, but this the is one... free, eh? This is I know, free right? therapy, dude. You don't even have to pay me. It's crazy. It's. Uh, I think it's. But it's. It's. I love talking to people like yourself because you're the only person who can relate to it. Like you're the only person that can relate to getting a proposal together every single year and saying, "Please sponsor me" or whatever. You know, like. That I was only chatting the other day to another rider about it, and I don't miss doing that. I mean, I still do it 
but I'm I'm full. I, I work full time for Muckoff now, and I'm I'm their presenter yeah, as true. well as their so you've content got that creator as well. Yeah, yeah. So I I kind of I I kind of have that security now, and if I can ride and get sponsors, it's a bonus, which is what I'm still doing. So I'm still riding. I'm still getting paid to ride as well, which is cool because I've got some good partners there. But it's a total but, bonus, right? So but you've it's got to- some security. It is. It is. Yeah. So, but. Looking back at when I, I think that was the most stressful part as well, was always having to sit down around about August, knowing that all these brands are getting their budgets sort of tightened up for the the following year and you need to get on it and you need to, you know, you're, you're the, you got to put your, you got to look like a, a peacock, right? You got to stand out for the rest. You want to be slapped on in front of the director, like sponsor this guy. And I think that's one thing that I was always good at. Like I, I knew my value and I knew what I could bring to the table. And this goes back to what I said originally is like having having a real close and tight network is really attractive to every sponsor because you can get stuff done quicker and you can get more of it and ultimately get as much exposure for that brand as possible as well. So, But it was still a pain in the ass getting these proposals together. Every single year, August, September, and you'd be like, oh, if they don't sign me, I'm not going to get paid, and I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, but don't you? Th- it's more. It's less the pain in the ass of the proposal. It's like the unknown if you're going to get renewed. Like exactly. What other jo- look? No jobs perfectly secure, but you know yeah. these days with HR and stuff, like it's quite hard to fire certain people if you've been performing okay. Yeah, yeah. In our, on a corporate level, and it comes up quite yeah. a lot, and it's just like, but. Imagine reapplying for your same job every two years. And that's what happens, right? After performing well, like you never quite know. And and I work in cycles and still to this day, even the wife now will say, can we not plan a little bit further ahead? Yeah. I I said, well, we can, but I've got the two, three years currently where that's stable. It will work out in the, in the long run. I'm, I know it will. I'm, Mm. I know I can work hard enough, invent myself and add some value somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But I also, the security is technically only for two years at this budget yeah. level, if know, you know what right. I mean. Yeah, yeah, of course. But now yeah. you've got that muck off thing. That's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, I'm, like I'm stoked with it. It come, it come at a very good time. So going back to what I was about to go off on one, about I, I used to have my own business and it was called Super Schools. We'd go into school and talk to kids about living a healthier and more active lifestyle. And, and we would take athletes in, so Olympic athletes as well as action sport athletes. Matt Jones done a couple as well. So we would rock up to this school or any school, not just randomly, obviously it would be booked. Um, we'd rock up to a school and we'd have a demonstrate, we'd have a, I'd have a full jump box set up and all the kids would come in, they'd have a picture with you like, and then they'd go and do a, a series of exercises. So press up, sit ups, all those kind of things. And just to encourage the kids to, to get out and live a healthier, active lifestyle and, they'd be inspired by athletes. So I did that for so many years, all the way up until 20, all the way up until COVID. So I just, I was just about to sign on the dotted line. So just as, just as it was just about to go boom, it went because of COVID. So, and obviously schools were hit hard. So all the schools were closed you weren't allowed to mix with anyone. And I provided a service which included meeting people, which was just not existent then. So my company just flopped. 
So I, I pumped all this money into it. And then I thought, I'm, I'm screwed. What am I going to do now? Thankfully, I had a, a, a couple of extra lives, which was some sponsors. So I was still riding for Lapierre at the time and they were, they were paying me. But it wasn't enough. And it was at a point where I could have lost the house. So I I, I noticed that Muckoff were, uh, they posted up a position to be a presenter. And I was like, this sounds incredible. Let's do that. Say, yeah, it was, for you. Yeah. yeah, it was part. I was like, right, I love being in front of camera. Muckoff's just down the road. I know Alex, the owner. This has to work. And then I went there and then a month later, I'm, I'm working for them. So I did an audition. It went really well. I mean, looking back at the audition was awful. So yeah, I've, I've been <laughs> working with um, at Muckoff for two and a half years now. And it's been, it's been really good. It's been really good. It's a great brand. Um, and it's, and it's been a good transition. Yeah, a fun and, brand, man. It makes yeah, sense they are. for you. Like, yeah. So, that. so that they let me, they let me use, they've got me on board to be, creative i guess so i'm doing a lot of their social posts uh coming up with lots of concepts and helping with editing and producing stuff and yeah i'm kind of yeah i'm a bit of a face for muckoff as well i do a lot of their how-to videos how to use lubes and clean your bike that kind of thing and it's all over youtube and all over other social platforms and yes yeah, it's, it's really fun it's very entertaining every week every day is always is always fun and the best part about it is that it's in in the industry and i'm working full-time um it's yeah it's it really is a, a really good job and and they also they they let me go out to all these events to judge still because they know how important it is for me as well as the sport so they're very, they're very supportive and um yeah it's a good brand to be a part of so i'm i'm so what started out as a pretty morbid conversation about me wanting to end it all 15 years on, 10 years on, whatever it was, it's everything's worked out really well. So yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel for most riders. So long as, so long as you, you kind of have a bit of an idea where you were going to go, because you will get there. You know, I did. But it's tough. It's tough at the time though, because to do a sport very well, it's, it's probably not recommended to think about the next stage. Right. Even though having a plan B or thinking about the next stage or planning five, 10 years. How do you plan five, 10 years when you're like, but my career and my skill set is not going to be usable, but it can be usable. Like if you zoom out and you say, okay, but in 20 years time, I might have a family and a house or another job. Oh, so my life is okay. But when you're in the middle of it and just going, how am I going to earn an income? What am I going to focus on? You lose your identity. So it's like, no wonder it's such a, such a big challenge. So what brought you out of the funk? What brought you out of it? You said your daughter, is there a point where you got back on the bike and you go, okay, cool. The bike is a healthy thing for me to do. Even when I'm not competing, like what else brought you out of that? funk? I'll tell you that like, let's rewind quite a while back. And I was going, when I wasn't competing as good as I should have, should yeah, as good as I was competing at, I, I yeah, I, I, I was in a really weird place, and I was in a weird place for a long time because I had zero direction. Still, I didn't want to just keep riding. I, I this was during the time of when I was filming, 
So although that was good, there was still behind, this is let me separate Chopper from I'm think I'm talking about Grant now at home, right? So yeah. Chopper's yeah. Chopper's on the jet setting, riding all these competitions like clinging on or, or filming. You park him in the garage and you walk yeah, through the door. Exactly. So I've just parked that, I've just come in. And then I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just I'm I'm at home sometimes just thinking what am I doing? Like, am I just, am I being selfish? Um, that, that, that was all that was going through my mind. Am I just th- thinking just about me? But and then sometimes I play mind games with myself, like, no, I'm not. This is the only thing I do. You can make a, it was like the devil on, like, on my shoulder, just, yeah, you're, like, you need to do this. You need to spend more time with your family. You need to get a proper job. You need to live like a real man. You need to go and do some labouring or whatever. And that's all I heard in my head. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't. I don't want to do that. I just want to ride. I can do it. I can make something of it. And then it got to a point where my relationship was became so rocky that eventually we, we got divorced. And I, I felt, I won't go into too much detail about it, but it, it got just it just got really messy and, and I didn't get the support I needed like because no one understood and when I say no one her at the time she didn't understand and I I kind of I didn't really see so many of my friends at that point because I was going away so much I was alone so Chopper was enjoying the life of old Riley you know traveling the world riding jumps getting drunk paying partying, you know, having, having the time of his life. But Grant is at home. He's got no friends because they're all over the world and they're all riding bikes. And Grant is being told to get back to a normal life. You can't do this anymore. And then, yeah, like I said, it, we, we got divorced and um, I lost the house. And then I hit rock bottom. And I that was when I, I went to my dad's house. And I was like, shit, I'm like, I can't remember how old I was. It's like early 30s. And I'm back at my dad's house. I've got a daughter. Like, I'm a mess. Like, I'm just like those that stereotypical a mess of a bloke. Do you know what I mean? And I, I felt so worthless. And it was so it's such a crap place to be in, dude. Like, you've you've been this you've been this superstar. To now you're back at your dad's house. You've got like your daughter lying on the little blow up bed next to you. Cause you, and it, it makes me upset now. And it's like, like, wow. And that gave me the motivation to just think I can't, I, yeah, I don't know where it came from, but I just needed to just sort myself out. And so, yeah. Yeah. And that, <laughs> it got to a really, um, real dark place. It was horrible. I'm just, yeah, just thinking about it now, just, pretty upsetting actually but yeah yeah but it, it's so raw man like i think yeah, it takes it courage to talk about it because yeah, yeah gotcha. sees where you are on social media in your position yeah and then they can be like fuck so he pulled himself away from that position yeah to where he is now like yeah. i can do it like, and i, and I, I only I, get inspired by hearing these stories like the rags to riches or yeah i went through so much shit i didn't know how yeah. to get out of it but you know i yeah. just decided to take action. Like there's always this point where you need to take action as hard yeah. as it is. It's like a choice. And yeah. I'm not saying it's easy for everyone. I'm not here preaching. Yeah. I'm just saying eventually there's a choice and the yeah. people that get out of the funk is like, they just make a choice, even though it's just as hard the 
the day after making the choice yeah. of like, I'm going to take some sort of action, you know, and maybe yeah. having a career where you dedicated yourself to one thing, you can say, okay, well, if I dedicate myself to a new thing, I can get up to a level of success. Yeah. And I, th I think um, having a support network is important. Like don't do what I done and, and just disappear. Make sure if you've got school friends, make sure they're around, you know, and make reach out to friends a lot. And this all, this all stems yeah. back to those days. And like, I, I don't know what I, like I said, like my, my daughter at the time was the only thing that kept me going because I was in a horrible place. because I felt alone. But the one advice that I would give to people is reach out to your friends more. And obviously family comes first without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. I went back to my dad's house. He accepted me. He welcomed me with open arms as, as, as a parent would. But there's only so much you can talk to them about. So keep like, make sure that you've got a, a good solid tight friend, like friendship network close to you and that's the one thing that i didn't have so um yeah that's the one thing that i wish i kind of did kind of reach out to a little bit more to make things a lot easier but i went through a real rocky patch but now i'm but then i eventually got out of it once i once i met my, my new girlfriend actually so yeah that was um that was the turning point for me and that's when everything fell into place because she was a lot more structured but she was also very empathetic. So she understood if she's never, she, she doesn't ride bikes. She hasn't got a clue about it, but she understands the impact it's had on me. And she, and she's, she taught me how to, yeah, how to manage it say, and yeah, she's just been my rock. Yeah. So everything's got better now since I met her. So make sure you keep, so keep, keep your mates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't sever any bridges there. And find find a good partner, yeah. And then sh everything will be good. Yeah, relationships like the longer you live in life, I think you realize how important they are to keep. Oh hell yeah! It. It's quite understanding that you would lose them, right? Because you're like jet setting, then you're back for yeah. five days. Yeah. You go to the local jumps. You maybe see those guys. Then you're off, and yeah. you're like, you don't need yeah. it technically. Yeah. You don't yeah. actually need it, even though it's ironically something <clears throat> you will need. Yeah, because I you're think... just having so much fun around the world. And yeah, that was one tough thing for me. Like I spent six months with these friends of mine. Take Brendan. You know, like we're in the trenches together. Yeah, and you've met Matty. I don't know if you met Matty from Finland. Yeah, I know Matty. Like, yeah, really well. Yeah, and like when you stop racing or you stop competing, you don't go to the events. It's like you get cut off cold turkey. And I've yeah, I joke and I say, but I'm almost weaning myself off it. Because yeah, I'm yeah. still going to some events and I'm commentating yeah, yeah. and I'm, well, now the podcast, right? So we get to connect, yeah. we chat now. Yeah, yeah Next course. time we see each other, there's maybe a deeper level. Yeah. But when you don't see those people and you haven't fostered your home network, like you said, that's like, yeah. who do you have? I know, right? Yeah. And like, I think that's that's just it. It's people forget, uh, I th I, when I say people like us, we probably forgot who we were at some point. Well, I definitely did. And I've got friends who I speak to now. They're like, you still biking? You still traveling the world? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, what? Like, you're still doing that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like they, and bear in mind, I've known them my whole life and they, they don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I feel so disconnected from my friends, if you know what I mean, in that way. And 
when I when I go out with them, I don't even talk to them about biking. We we talk about bikes and we talk about like the old BMX videos we used to watch, but I never talk about me ever. I I'm, I'd say I'm very um, what's the word humble about it all. I don't I hate talking about what I do because I know that they can't they they haven't been able to do that. So that's another barrier as well, which is which is tough. So I don't like talking about all these cool things I've done, you know. But at the same time, what with it, your mates at home? But I yeah. don't like doing it either because it's like kind of boring. I talk about it all the time. I so know. I like, yeah. I don't like talking bikes when I'm at the pub. Yeah, and I think this is so this is catch, another thing. Catch twenty two though. Yeah, I think that's probably why you and me get on as well because we love golf, right? Like it's like, <laughs> like because like the moment you start we talking talk about, about golf, something else, yeah, yeah, we start talking about just golf, and there's so much to talk about. Like this, it's just a golf club and a ball and a field, but there is so much to talk about, you know, like, and it's it's. Yeah, you just need to separate yourself sometimes, and yeah, I do play golf with some friends now at home. So that's that's my that's my go to because bikes bikes can get a bit boring if you're in it every day. <laughs> Not boring, but you know you need time out. Well, it no, but it but it is work. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. I think that's why a lot of people turn to other hobbies and other things. Like, yeah, it's yeah. quite a big distraction. Do you think the golf is quite a big distraction to? like dealing with normal life and stuff. Yeah. I think it's sometimes I just go and play do a whole round on my own. So 18 holes, it's like, you know, just under four hours, depending on how good I'm playing at the time. But I, I love it because you, it's, it's, it's still you on your own and it's only up to you, but the weather's changing. The, like the wind's changing, like the ground conditions are changing. So like the speed of the ball will change everything. It's so much like, technical like technical things with golf which i i love and that's why i get so frustrated with it but that's how i feel about bikes some days it just clicks and then the next day it's awful you want to just throw your clubs into the into the lake and it's the same with your bike but yeah but i when don't it, think it gets but when it works but do you, you know i can i might i've i sometimes get like that sometimes with bikes well okay but okay so when do you get on a bike one yeah. day you rode the trail just fine yeah or do a tail whip at your level yeah. and then the next day you physically and mentally cannot ride down the trail and yeah. you're just crashing yeah. or you physically cannot land a trick you've landed for quite a lot like long time golf well, you literally go one day and the next day sometimes it feels like you've never hit a ball before like <laughs> to me yeah. most sports if you put effort in and you like can maintain a level yeah I, I think that's why maybe for you and I, I've reflected. I can only push myself so much on a bicycle at this level because yeah. I was chasing the clock. I don't do that anymore. So now do I chase yeah. dark fest? Well, I don't really want to land on my my head too many times. Yeah. You know, I don't want to hit the ground too often. It comes yeah. as a risk of the sport. So what do I put my attention of, of improving to, you know? Yeah, there's work, there's podcasting, and then there's this little addiction of yeah. this thing that yeah. you can never exactly. take. I think. Yeah. Um, I think so it's because it's, it's always personalities. Do, right? I think. Yeah, everything. Yeah, but like, it, I think it's, it's a sportsman personality. You know. Yeah, I get you. No, I do get you. Like you always, if you're like gonna after chasing, chasing something and improving your riding, and now you're like, well, I don't want to improve it too much. Yeah, yeah. So what am yeah. I gonna, what am yeah. I gonna chase? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. Like if 
I I think if if you're a competitive person and you're competitive on one thing, like and you've made a career out of it, you're gonna you're gonna take that into something else. And you you will. And it's funny, I was um I was talking to one of my friends the other day and his his girlfriend works at J JP Morgan, which is the bank, right? And they are hiring former athletes for their mentality, which I think is incredible. It's nice that something so corporate like that would want to feature an athlete, but they're, they're buying into their mindset because that's, that's probably making them money, right? Like it's funny how, like, I just, I just like that concept. It's like the, the athlete mind, you, you'll never change it. So long as that athlete so what you, is interested. What do you think they want out of it? What do you think JP Morgan wants? What well, they, they probably see? just, they probably want someone to, yeah, hit their targets and goals because that's what, that's, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's their, their model. I don't know. But it, I find things like that interesting that business want, are interested in an athlete's mindset. So, yeah, I, like I said, I think if, if you're going to try something, you'll be good at it. Yeah, absolutely. So, if, if you, if you want to do it, um, you have a, a level of resiliency, yeah. kind of a fuck you attitude of never giving up. Yeah, because for sure. being a sportsman, the guys that get to the top are the guys that never gave up along the way. Yeah. Yes, yeah. They, you can talk genetics, you can talk surroundings, and yeah. there's books written on the topic, right? Yeah. But at a base level, like you only get better by failing. Yeah. yeah. And again, you fail, and then you get up and you get up and you get up. And yeah. that's any walk of life. But the but a sportsman has proven that, yeah. you know, because they've got to a high level by not giving yeah. up. So they're hoping to probably tap into that. There's hard yeah. work, there's dedication, and you can be single-minded focus. Yeah. So they're hoping that they put them in this job and that's all they focus on, I would think. Just spitballing. I think that's – I'm going back to when I first started, you know, going back to when I was um, – I just left school and my friends are going to college and getting jobs around me. I think – in 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 that sense, I was probably in a position where I was quite lucky. It was perfect timing, so I would be riding every day, like because I could. Because thankfully, my dad would put dinner on my on the table, you know. But at the time, I didn't really see it as that. I just saw myself as right. I'm going to ride. I'm just going to ride every day until I get paid to do it. So I was lucky in that sense. So that that was the only element of luck in my life was that I had a roof to that was paid for, you know, but everything else was very, like you said, was very like athlete sportsman, like driven because I had that opportunity to do it. And I, and I took it and that's why I, I did end up becoming the godfather say, because I did spend so much time just focusing on that one thing. And that was to be the best, which I, which I did accomplish. So yeah. Interesting. Cool. That's been that's been a big challenge of mine is what to focus on, like in sport yeah. and down. I had this one thing. Now it's like commentary, uh, open a business at home, yeah. help with some trails. Yeah, uh, got my brands, and then you know, because as I retired, I was like, what the hell am I gonna do? And there's a few opportunities that came to me, sort of the universe. And if you believe in that, I think you would. Like serendipitous. Hey, right, there's a Muckoff position opening, and it's probably something I'd be good at. Yeah, so yeah. I did all these things and I and, and I failed at some and I'm still failing at others and trying to get yeah. better. And 
But it's so tough because what do I focus on in the morning? Yeah. Even if it's content creation, you know, yeah. there's such a clear roadmap when you're in sport. Go ride your bike, learn new tricks, yeah, go yeah. to the comp, perform yeah. new tricks, yeah, get some feedback, yeah, go learn new tricks. <laughs> For me, true, go yeah. to the gym, get faster, go to the race. Yeah. I either yeah. sucked or I got I, I won, get yeah. better. Yeah. It's like it's quite simple. I miss it that. Is. I miss it that is. like single mind is it's yeah. like blinkers on. Obviously yeah, that's mate. tough because you lose friends along the way and relationships and stuff if you yeah. want to do it do it well oh god yeah yeah it's like i said it can be seen as a very selfish thing so you just need to um remain humble you know like there's there's lots of riders that i've seen that they've that like they've had girlfriends they, they, they used to bring them to the events and they were so kind and lovely but i know full well they won't last that long just because <laughs> they're they're how i was they were like no i'm just doing my thing just go I'm just riding. I'm just riding, and that's just the that's that's the mindset you have to have if you want to be good. Like my brother, for example, he could have been incredible, but he fell in love. Like, and it's just, and it's so sad to say that because obviously that's a good thing. But he could have had a very good career in biking, but he chose to just hang out with his girlfriend more than biking. You know, it's like, dude, but that's his life. You know. <laughs> yeah, but does he, is, does he regret any of that? Yeah, yeah. Like, does, does, he, ever, yeah. does he say to you, shucks, maybe uh, I could have done this yeah. for No, no, 100%. Years. I don't know. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, okay. so me and, my, me and my brother used to ride all the time together. And we used to come as a package. So if you're going to sponsor him, you're sponsoring me too. Or if you're sponsoring me, you're sponsoring my <laughs> brother as well. But then uh, there came a point where I was like, Ollie, I, I've, I've been offered this, like, let me do it because they're, they're only after one right it was the animal bike tour at the time when i was riding alongside martin ashton and they just needed one rider and i was like ollie i've got to do it and he's like no nah, do it that'd be wicked that'd be wicked and then that was when we sort of parted but and i think that kind of made him think yeah i'm just gonna hang out with my girlfriend more and it sucked because like my brother was insane he was better than me and everything you know but never mind <laughs> But he's all good. He's still yeah. It's those choices. It's interesting where they lead. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah alcohol and 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 certain things have certainly derailed many an athlete's career, even once they make it. Exactly. But yeah, I've I've yeah. seen that. Like it takes a really special kind of partner to accept a professional sportsman's lifestyle. I agree. And what they need to focus on. Yeah. Um, it yeah, takes a, and they do exist, but it's not yeah. for every person. It's not a no. wrong or a right if a girlfriend breaks yeah. up with an athlete. You know, it's yeah, man, it's so difficult. I mean, I made a conscious decision not to get involved at certain times of the year or yeah. from people with certain countries because I knew I was going home for six months to ride and train, and then I knew I was leaving for six months. So yeah. I didn't meet someone. Early in my off season, I kind of just knew that I wasn't going to have enough time to form a bond to yeah, then yeah, yeah. deal with long distance. So I just oh, no. sacrificed. So I, I was useless at being in a relationship, and I, yeah, I'm the first to say it. I had selfish tendencies, and they're like sort of forced upon you with your career choice. So it's it's interesting. And later in my career, I read a book, "The Ego Is the Enemy" by Ryan Holiday. Fascinating book, and I think it's a great book to read. Interesting. And the basic pretense is, is like the ego is there, that self-ego, and it helps yeah. you climb the mountain. It's almost needed to right. climb to the top of the mountain. But it's the very thing that's going to bring you down the mountain. 
So that yeah. would be someone that's egotistical about uh, competing against someone else when maybe the shelf life has come and gone and he shouldn't be trying to compete and he might get yeah. injured or yeah. he's in it for the wrong re reasons, the bonus yeah. checks, the accolades yeah. instead of the passion yeah. or the Lance Armstrong that goes back to the Tour de France and yeah. gets hit for doping. Why? Dude, he, his, yeah. his legacy, quote unquote, was there yeah. and he doped to stay third in the Tour or whatever it was. That's an ego. Why yeah. couldn't he have got fourth or fifth? Yeah, I know, right? And, he, it's bad. and that's when they started popping. Think about that. And presidents. Yeah, yeah. You've got this competitive drive and this ego to beat everyone, get to the top. And then yeah. the ego turns to greed and you just want to stay yeah. there and you'll yeah, yeah. take money from any which source. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah, it's mad. It is mad. Dude, it's been... Um... I feel like I hit most emotions in that one, actually. Yeah, it's been a ride. Like, like, pretty much a like a, a four-hour golf round. Oh, God. Not as... Yeah, that's... Yeah. This was this <laughs> was, was easier. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. Like, to put it in a nutshell, like like I said, look after, look after your close friends. Keep them nearby. And if you're going to do something, put 110% into it. But just remember, like, you need someone to fall back on as well, right? Which I didn't have. And that yeah. was hard. I, I think that's brilliant, man. What You've uh, put a bow in it, like a true yeah. uh, presenter that you are as well. <laughs> Mate, that's that's long overdue. Yeah. We've been threatening this one for a while. I know. Well, I'm I glad think we made for, it happen. I reckon about, it was Innsbruck 2022 we were chatting. So almost, yeah. And every time I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Cause it's, yeah, it's been, yeah, I'm, I'm flat out. And now I've got, a, that's awesome. I've got to do some work now. So this is my lunch break. So I've got to make up the hours now. It was, it so, yeah, was work. Busy guy. You've, busy you've guy. Got, we'll, we'll, we'll make some cool assets of it and you can share it with the old muck off. <laughs> mate, I, I can't thank you enough. No, uh, thank especially you, for being so raw and open. Like I don't, you obviously are aware of what it does because you did the documentary, but I know yeah. there's going to be feedbacks, yeah. uh, you guys. And hit him up. Maybe there's an athlete that's too scared to speak to someone. Maybe you need a message chopper. Um, yeah. You know, like don't be afraid to to message close friends and people. I think whilst we're on that subject, I, I have got a lot of people reach out to me and a lot of big names just to, just to talk to me about stuff. Because um, I do feel like mental health within our sport it's it's not spoken about it's still so new because people like myself are starting to drop out who've experienced it but then you've you've got you've got Brett Tippy who's a, you know he's gone through a heck of a lot he's got a me mega story so reach out to that guy everyone we're all a tight unit you know so just talk so it doesn't matter if you're from downhill cross country whatever we it's all the same we all have the same drive 100% we're all exactly the same. If, just because you can't tell it doesn't mean I can't talk to you, you know? It's like, it's, I think... I can tell it. What are you talking about? <laughs> how do you, you like that? You how do you like you, that ego blast? You, yeah. How, I do, know, but it, how do you like that? I did that on purpose. Though. I'm to, I'm, <laughs> technically, I have, but yeah. I don't give a shit because I can't anymore and it doesn't matter. I, I'm yeah. doing it for effect. I know, it's, right. it's funny how it creeps in, huh? I know the ego and, and the yeah. ego is the one that keeps you away from messaging. And but saying, I, you know I, I still do it Fuck, now. I'm struggling. Yeah. 
Like I was talking, like we're going off topic again, but like I was talking to um, Nikolai the other day and then I was like, I guarantee, and I was full of rage. I was like, I guarantee it, give me a week and I'll be, I'll be, comp- I'll be beating you. Like, and I was dead serious. Like, I wouldn't, Why? but. Why do you just, give a shit? Yeah. Like, funny, yeah. It is funny. It's just, it is an ego thing. It's, it's, because I know, I know full well, if, if I, Give me a slope bike, a very short travel, 26 inch short, short slope bike that can bar spin. I'll be, I, I'll be back at Crankworks. That's my mentality. How old you know? are you? That's your mentality. You think it's realistic? 40. But I, I honestly think, think it's I could. realistic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm small and agile enough to figure it out. Like if, if you have the right mindset, 100%. So you still got that mindset. I don't have oh, that drive. Someone I, says, oh, because you qualified a World Cup. I said, yeah, probably I still not, have and that I drive. wouldn't try. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? That's interesting. Like, okay, so but, you've got that scratch that you still somehow need to figure out and, and yeah, figure I, out if you scratch it. Okay. Oh, God, yeah. So in, in my contract with Lapierre, I've put in there, I have to do a good edit, and I'm still, I've got to do it this year. But that gives me that, you know, and the list I've got, of the, okay. the moves that, so I'm still like That's I still cool. want to do some good stuff. So I, I still want to do some, not worlds first, but like weird stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, I've never seen like that chopper, before. chopper first or something. Yeah, that yeah, pushes you. But that's that's yeah. the pushing out of your comfort zone thing. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I still want to do that, but like I said, I, I had a funny conversation with Nikolai, and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd be competing. I'd still, I'd still make crank marks and stuff. And he goes, yeah, man, come on, let's do it. Must have yeah, he, he was yeah, stoked. He's he, the perfect guy to say that yeah, to. I know, awesome. right? Has yeah. he, he been injured? What, what's his deal? Yeah, he hurt himself in cans, right? He tried to uh, twist yeah, her yeah. for the first yeah. thing and he busted his wrist. But I think he's good now. So, yeah, we'll see a lot more of we him. Should get him on we should, the, should get him on the pod. He'd be hilarious oh, to speak be, to. It'd be amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll message him after this. Yeah, 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 for sure. What a he's passionate guy. He's done a lot for that sport. Like if there's a guy that's more stoked for other competitors than himself, that's yeah. like unreal. Yeah, he's a such cool a guy. he's such a big he's such a big thing for slope style. Like just every he's yeah. got the full package. He's great at riding. He's great the off energy. the bike. Yeah. And the energy, dude. Like and he knows he's so he's so professional and he's so nice. You know, yeah. like, I, I, I love the bloke. If I'm going to hang out with anyone, it's authentically when I'm at an event, nice, right? Yeah, it is. And he's like yeah. authentically happy for someone else. It's not, he is. He's not and doing he's it for stoked. the cameras. Because that gets him stoked. It's like the moment he sees someone just pull yeah. a twister, he's like, yeah, it, it makes him want to go and do one. Not out of like, it's not out of being competitive, but just like, because he's just like, yeah, everyone's on my level. Let's freaking go. Like, let's freaking go. Let's ride this together, you know? I, and I, I wanted I'd to love speak that. to him, but just like I'd love to understand it where it yeah. comes from because yeah. we see it, but I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, maybe it stems from his dad and stuff like I don't know, like being really yeah. like Russian and I don't know. It's quite funny, right? But I do find That's things great. like that fascinating as well. But yeah, Mate, this has been so so epic. Um, yeah, it's been cool. So they can obviously find you at Grant Chopper. No, Chopper Fielder on Instagram. Yeah, Chopper What's the Instagram. Yeah, just chop a fielder, yeah. Yeah, and check it. the stuff out he's doing on 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 Makov. And obviously, don't bitch about the judging because we've heard how difficult it is. But yeah. he's the man trying to trying to keep it as fair as human. I'll tell you possible. what, Mate, um, you know that new threads thing that Instagram have done. I've if you go on my chop a fielder page, 
Um, I've got a little broadcast channel that I've posted on there, which says... I don't know what... Are you going to educate me on you know, that? You know this one, the slope style judging, have your say, even though you can't say anything on there. I've messed that up. But I always update stuff on there just to sort of... Yeah, okay. there's, a, there's a recent picture of Bringer on there, which people like. This is the sort of stuff I want to see at slope style events. Like, how do is you that watch where this broad, Is this where this... Do I have to join this thing? Yeah, just join it, and then you'll see an update. It, uh, it would just ping up, like, a, Chopper's message. What a shameless just, plug. Just, are you going to charge... Is this? Are you going to charge me? No. It's, like, it's not I like just, a dollar a month or something. No, it's nothing like that. It's just, like, it's basically... Is this your OnlyFans? Yeah, imagine. How do you watch? Oh, that's cool. And then you can get guys to engage. Yeah, but yeah, how do just you watch engage. Style? Yeah, and then it's just like little votes. Like, how do you watch? Just so I can get a bit of an idea on the kind of people that. Yeah, are, I like that. I, I like just thought it'd be watching. Yeah, I like that. I might do that for the podcast. That and then yeah, I can do ask it. like questions and so. Yeah, people. Yeah, dude, you'd have to. Who do are these po- people polls? Are these texts you? Yeah, they, people can they're like not allowed part to... them and. They're comment. not allowed to comment. Like a broad, oh, okay. Yeah, so you only you can post things on there, so they'll like it. So the only way that you could probably get them to ask you a question is if they privately messaged you, and then you can yeah, put it on there. Okay, I'll do that for the potty. I think it'd be interesting That's for sick. you. sick. So yeah, check it for out. Sure. All right, mate. That was epic. Uh, before everyone runs off, we are, are on YouTube trying to build up that channel. So if you've got some value, don't you want to do us a favor? Subscribe, Moving the Needle podcast on the tube so you can see all the awesomeness of Chopper. Uh, so that'll be great. Otherwise, leave us a review. Subscribe. Do all those things. I'm asking for a lot, but you're getting this crap for free. So uh, until the <laughs> next one, peace. Yo. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. 
Now, I don't care what you do in life. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle. That's again, drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well.